This episode of the Mark My Words podcast was brought to you by Magic Paints from Yenkin Majestic Paint Company. Market leaders in the manufacturing of specialty paint products, including VOC-compliant alkyd enamels, liquid aluminum paints, diamond-hard acrylic enamels, farm and agricultural paints, and much more. See them at magicpaints.com. That's magic with a J, M-A-J-I-C-P-A-I-N-T-S dot com, magicpaints.com for more information. Hello, and welcome to Mark My Words. Mark My Words is the only podcast produced exclusively for independent retailers and other members of the Independent Dealer Channel. I'm your host, Mark Lipton. Thank you for listening. Growing up, all I knew was the paint stores. My father had one when I was very young, and, and over the years, he probably owned, I don't know, seven or eight more. I should have asked him when I had him in front of me. That he bought and sold. When he retired, he, he just had the one store which is one of the two stores that I operate now. And, uh, you know, over the course of our time together, we've always enjoyed that connection to each other through the paint business. We've always enjoyed talking about uh, his parents and grandparents and the experience that they had working in the stores because it was connected to the experience that we were having working in the stores. And so when I got the chance, when I was down in Florida last week visiting my parents, I, I brought my microphone, my little recording device, and, and I couldn't help but take advantage of the opportunity to sit down with my dad. The, the time that he spent in a paint store has been very different from the time that, that you or I have spent in a paint store. And if you're in the, the 30 to 40 range or, or even younger, then, then the experience that he had in a paint store is, is not connected in any way, shape, or form to the experience that you're having. At the time, most paint was, was ready-made colors. Even as, as a young man, I recall myself, the vast majority of the paint that we sold was ready-made colors. A tremendous amount of the paint that we sold was oil-based, and which required, obviously, a, a lot of paint thinner as well. And it's interesting because, you know, as part of another project that I'm working on, and, and one day when I'm done with all of this, part of my life. I, I actually plan on writing a book and, and the topic is likely to be my family's experience in the paint business as well as just my family's experience coming to America and, and growing and staying here and, and all that we've accomplished. And, and so along those lines, I've started taking notes and writing down stories and, and anything I could, you know, figure out that, that might help me in the future. And so I sent a group text to my family the other day, some cousins, my sister and parents, and, and just said, anybody who's got any recollections about the paint store, write them here and send them to me. And uh, it's funny because four of the six or seven or however many of us were on the group chat, four of us responded that, that the ever-present smell of paint thinner is their most uh, defining memory of their time in the paint store. And, and I remember that. I remember when I was a young man working in the paint store, you know, on the weekends and holidays. And when my father was in the paint business, he would come home and, and he always smelled of paint thinner. And I never actually, even getting older, I never understood why he smelled of paint thinner. I knew that he did smell of paint thinner, but I, I never understood why the, the paint store that, that I grew up in was very different than the one that I remember as a kid. We sold paint thinner 
by the gallon, which came in a, a, in a jug that was already filled, and there were six gallons to a box. And, and we sold very little oil-based paint for, for much of my career. Uh, I came into the paint business full-time in 1988. Uh, the VOC laws, at least in New York, I know nationally they were staged a little differently. But in New York, the VOC laws started to change somewhere around 1990, 1991. So I was not in the business at a time when a lot of oil-based paint was being sold like my father was. And so some of his experiences with the products are really interesting. He talks about, as a young man, he remembers when somebody would come into the store, if they needed a, 100 gallons of paint for a job, what they would actually buy is 1,000 pounds of lead, uh, 50 gallons of paint thinner, and, and y- you know some drying agents and colorant and other things that are lo- long since gone from our lexicon. And they would come into the store, buy those items, and then mix them on the job. And that was, that was all that they had for paint back then. And that included tinting the colors. If the customer wanted something blue, they were doing it right there on the job with the customer standing over their shoulder. So just a really different experience uh, from the experiences that, that we are all having in paint stores. And, and so I thought you might enjoy it. And so I, I put on the recording device and I started somewhere around 1958 or so, which is about the time that my father started in the business. And when he moved to Florida, he, he worked part-time in a paint store just to keep himself busy. So he was in the business uh, in some respect or another from 1958 till around 2014. And you can imagine the changes over that period of time. And, and so we talk about that. And, and the conversation is a lot of fun. You could hear him laugh and, and all through it. And, and what a great experience it was for me to, to sit down with my father and be able to create something that I really feel uh, you guys are going to enjoy listening to. So for any of the paint store geeks out there, uh, this is an opportunity for you to to learn about what it was like in a paint store back back in the days when when even tinting machines and mixers did not exist. So in, enjoy the time with my father. I certainly enjoyed making it for you. And thanks very much for listening. I'm here with a special guest today. I'm here with my father, Bill Lipton. Dad, it's great to see you as always. And it's great to be with you. Certainly a fabulous experience. This is really unique for me to have you on my podcast. In the background, in the audience at the time is my mother sitting on the couch, as well as my fiance, Gaetana. And so we're doing a live performance, the first ever live performance of the Mark My Words podcast. So I thought it was interesting how much time you've spent in a paint store and the, the long time. a long time. And so the amount of things that you've seen and the amount of changes that you've seen in the paint stores uh, in that time. So why don't you tell us a little bit just quickly of, of when you first started working full-time in the paint business. Well, the, the biggest thing was everything was oil-based paints. So it was a constant odor of paint thinner and, you know, all the oil-based products. You were filthy completely. There was no way of just washing like with today's latexes right. and so forth and so on. So that was a, it was a burden. So I don't know if I've ever told you this, but one of my most significant memories from childhood is when you would come home from work every day, you always smelled like paint thinner. I did. And I can still, to this day, I can channel that and I can still get that smell in my head of what it, what it meant when dad came home. And so why were you covered in, in paint thinner? Just working, I work in a paint store now, I'm not covered in paint thinner. Well, everything was 
related to paint thinners, everything, all the paints. We sold 100 gallons of outside oil-based paint. It was 25 gallons of benzene or wow. paint thinner or whatever you want to call it. Right. Barnaline in those days, I don't know what the difference actually was. Right. Uh, and how, and would, how would customers buy it so that it ended up on you? Generally speaking, in five-gallon cans, and we had to pump them from the basement into the store level and cork them and get splashed by them. Right. And, and so that's why you smell like paint them. All the time. Right. And so a guy would come into the store. And With an would, empty five-gallon can. An empty bucket. And we'd fill it for him. And, or if the stuff that we were delivering, obviously, we would have empty cans and we'd fill them. We actually... Uh, paid for those empty cans for people to bring them back. We gave them, I think, a nickel, something like that. It right. was kind of ridiculous. Right, at, right. But at the time, it seemed like a lot. And, and I then remember we cork it. We bought right. corks. I remember those boxes. Uh, and they always squirted and right. had holes in them and, and whatever. So I stank all the time. And I remember as a kid, we used to bring in anything we bought at home that came in gallon cans. We had to save the gallon oh, sure. milk. Because, well, uh, retail sales. People would buy, you know, a gallon or a half a gallon, and we'd fill those bottles, and it was, I think, 22 cents or something like that. Wow. It wasn't, yeah, it wasn't a lot of money. Right. Uh, and basically, that's why I smelled all the time. Right. I, I remember I remember getting into the van with you. We used to drive the truck to work. Because, all the time. Right. The family didn't have a car to go to work. Right. For you, we just had that truck. And I remember as I was older and you were a smoker at the time. And I remember yeah. thinking, like, maybe this isn't such a good idea <laughs> the way he smells right well, now. Well, we haven't had an explosion. Right. But, yes, so it was risky. Right, right, right. So, it was definitely risky. So tell me a little bit about the paints themselves that you sold back then. It was a simpler collection of goods that you had, right? Well, for instance, Benjamin Moore's had a line of, uh, I think there were eight ready mixed colors, half of which were off whites, right? Uh, bone off, right? Whatever, whatever. Um, and then there was a beige and there was a Swedish red, actually. Uh, so yeah, there was nothing and there were no tint machines, right? Uh, when and that started, then it started in tubes and we had formulas and then that was a whole new world for us. And and so let's go back to that. So before you had the ability to tint, and I'm going to ask you about what these tubes are in a second. Before you had the ability to tint, what would a customer come in and ask you for? Because not all paint back then was white. So well, some people wanted... All paint was white. Right. But some people wanted their apartments so, painted blue. Right. So all the contractors that came in the ones that we delivered to ordered with their paint quartz in some cases gallons of colorant wow oil-based colorant wow uh from you know the amber raw sienna right. every order that we received uh we sent along with it colorant uh this was before even universal colorant wow this was just plain oil and i remember those stank. jars the they pure were, oil colors there were half pints more, right quartz and certain colors, like the umbers and the siennas, which were very popular, right? Uh, they came in gallons, and very were, heavy. Also, were they getting that. tinting bases, or were they just no, buying no, no? White this and, is white paint. Okay, and the painters had the talent to create colors that would please their customers right there on the job. Right there on the job, they made their colors all the time on the job. Right, uh, we sold 
I can't imagine that. I remember quart, quart cans came in six per package and gallons came in two. And um, yeah, these guys went through colorant like I went through water. Right, right. And and you sold a, a more limited range of products back then, right? I mean, now I know you, you had worked in a paint store as recently as 2016. Now yes, you're retired. Correct. Yeah. And, and so uh, in 2016, you had a, a wide range of products. Was it a Benjamin Moore store yes. that you worked in? Oh, and yeah, so absolutely. you had Regal and Aura and yeah. Ben and all. Yeah, all you, of that stuff. You didn't have all of that in no, 1958. we had nothing. We had... Uh, Actually, it goes back. We had a product called Sani Flat. Oh, I remember Sani Flat. Which would not, I'll get Sani Flat. Sani Flat. Oh, interesting. Yeah. It had a blue label uh, and it was the oil based product of the world at right. that point in time. And then they made Alkit, which was a little quicker drying, uh, made it a little easier for ventilation or lack of ventilation in most cases. Right. Which is why in New York, the business died off in the wintertime because people couldn't breathe when you painted their house. Right. Because it stank. Right. And so you sold this sandy flat and Alkid sandy flat. So this was your typical wall paint. Oh, yeah. Absolutely. And this is what went on every wall. Every wall. Right. Every ceiling. Right. Well, there, there were ceiling paints that were a little flatter. Right. Actually, but beyond that, it was the same. Garbage. It was all sandy flat. And so totally. a customer would come in. And he was painting an apartment, let's say, or or two or three apartments in an apartment building. Uh, what would an order like that look like? No, oh, it would. If this guy wanted uh, to paint a five bedroom house, let's say, or something like that, and he'd order twenty or twenty five gallons. It came in five gallon cans of white. He would just order white. twenty twenty five gallons of white paint, white, right? and then you know four gallons of colorant and wow. stuff like that. And they made their colors. Listen, in my own house, we had it painted, and these guys made the colorants wow. all the time. Wow. My, uh, you know, my grandparents' house, everything like that, they, they made the colors, right. whatever. They couldn't make real deep colors. Right. Because obviously there was a problem with that. Right. Uh, and know, did those colors and, not exist back then, or no, did you get them exist. in some other way? They didn't exist. They just, it's you know, if, if a woman came in and she said she wanted this color beige, the painter on the job, the painter on the job would make her the color bait. And right. they would hit a nail all the time. Right. Perfect. So they, they knew what they were doing. Part painter, part artist. Totally. At the same time. Without a question. They weren't given credit for that, but right. they, they certainly were that. Right. Without a doubt. Unlike today's guys that just go and... They're just applying the material. They're putting it on. Right. And so you, you mentioned that it became later, it was later that you became able... Uh, to make custom colors? It started, uh, I'm not sure exactly what year it started in, mm -hmm. uh, the custom colors, but it was... Uh, Give me a rough guess. Would you say it was early 60s, late 60s? Late early 60s, 70s? early 70s, okay. I would think it became sort of the thing to do. Because I remember as a kid, so this would have been around maybe 1970 or so, the Benjamin Moore color rack was just a couple of spinning yeah, uh, color nothing. displays. It, it had a few hundred colors on there. Barely. And, and you could maybe fit two people Correct. around and it. We made them and, with pods of color. And so how did that work? It gave us a formula of, there were, I think, five different size pods. Right. And, uh, and it told us what to squeeze into the can, and we did. The pods were supposedly unbreakable. 
which was a lie. Because, <laughs> because Sounds like it, you broke a couple. If, if you squeeze them hard enough, right. they would break right. and make a mess and a half. And, right. and that's and that was until the machines came along. The and, first machine we had was, was just like a circle that had all the different canisters of colorants. Correct. Right? And you would right. just spin it. A, B, C, each one was... Right. And, and it would come labeled from the factory. It was set up where... Anybody could really do it very easily. Right. You say in it, it come label from the factory of which colorings which to colorings put in to each go in. canister. Absolutely. And Absolutely. I remember, I don't know if you remember those canisters, they were sort of triangularly shaped and the spinner for the agitator for the coloring in the middle. And so each one of the three corners of the triangle would get stuck. All with, the time. Right, with dry coloring. All the time. Right. It, Absolutely. It, right. I remember those. So in order to keep those clean, we had to stir this machine right. every single day to right. make sure we had liquid right. and not lumps of right. and particularly the oil products because it dried out. Right. Eventually. And we used to take stirring sticks, right? And Stick scrape out the Correct. the corners and get it back into the Absolutely. into the paddle so yeah. that it would stir up. Yeah, for sure. And so what was different ab about that? when you moved from the pods to the machines in the early to mid 70s? Well, it was like a new life. I mean, there was more to do because there were many more colors that people started to request. Right, that's when uh, the racks got bigger in the store. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I remember uh, those. And um, yeah, it made it easier. Latex paint came along. Right. So I didn't stink quite as much, which right. was nice. Right. Um, so I actually, uh, interestingly enough, Somebody had approached me recently about uh, writing a story of, of Tremont paint in one of the magazines that covers the industry. And so I participated in an interview and it was a lot of fun. And so now it's going to be published uh, shortly. And they emailed me the other day looking for, uh, you know, any pictures that I might have of, of any of the family members or any of the stores oh, wow. from back a, a long time ago. So, of course, I went looking through you know, my old pictures, I found a picture of Gramps uh, sitting at his desk with a bunch of white lead yeah, uh, smoking paint, a cigarette paint probably. cans behind him. Yeah. He didn't have a cigarette at the time. <laughs> I'm shocked. But then I actually found two pictures of you, which I was able to get dated to around the early 70s by showing them to somebody at Benjamin Moore who was able to see some cans in the window because you were standing in the front of the store. And it was two pictures of you with these huge purple aqua velvet labels right right hanging in the window yeah and so that would have been around the 19 or early to mid 1970s correct mid 70s and so by then you were tinting by formula probably getting it pretty accurate most yeah of the time. but not nearly as accurate as today's machinery right. obviously right. there were always issues and it came up but most of the contractors still we still at that even in the early 70s we were still selling a lot of oil-based products right all the exterior products were oil right i remember uh, that especially the primers i remember that were primer only prim was besides only that even the finish coat would they used to make their own exterior paint by a combination of raw oil wow turpentine wow and the paint right right and the the paint was a was a paste. paste. Yeah, the paste. It was a lead right. that they put in it. Right. Most of these guys are dead now because right. <laughs> they were drinking right. the lead. Right. I now understand uh, why you smelled so bad every oh, day yeah. when you got home from yeah. work. Yeah, absolutely. We, we would the lead came in. Uh, well, Dutch Boy was 
the only supplier of lead. Right. And it came in one pound cans. I have one of those on my desk. Yes, you do. About the size of a half a pint. Right. And five pound cans and 50 pound cans. Yep. There's actually and a 20 20- pound cans, which they couldn't put a handle on. Wow. Because they couldn't make it stick to the can if you picked it up. Right. So there must have been a 20 pound can at some point, too, because I have one of those on my desk and those, as well. Those you had to order that order. The only thing they would send would be a ton of lead. A ton is in 2,000 pounds. A ton is in 2,000 pounds. Yeah, right. That hasn't changed yet. Right. Right. Um, and yeah. And this, so they would get, if they had a big outside job, they'd get a, you know, a few hundred pound cans and so forth and make their own exterior finish coat. Wow. Right on the job. Wow. But the oil and the turpentine came in five gallon cans. Right. Uh, and not paint cans, but metal, right. you know, liquid cans. Right. And they would, whatever their formula was, they would make it. And it never came off those houses. And and painters had their own unique formulas for making their paints. Oh, you could ask a hundred of them. Right. A hundred of them are going to give you different percentage of right. what goes into where how much solvent versus how much lead yeah. versus how much whatever right and they you know they had their own method of madness right and it, and it was so it was a big deal artist scientist yeah. and painter pretty much yeah all in the pretty same much. they really were yeah all in the same really place were. and so back to the mid 70s we got some uh, uh some tip machines and that made it a little bit easier to Make paint a little bit more efficiently. Oh, absolutely. And then, of course, the oil-based paint started to, to go away. Yeah. And when that happened, of course, it was a whole different world showed up. And so tell me a little bit about, so as that transition from oil-based to water-based happened and from painters mixing paint on the job to you being able to satisfy a customer right there in the store, the, the demographics of your customers must have changed, right? It changed dramatically, actually. Uh, first of all, there were a lot of the contractors that fought the latex paint because they were sure, well, it's water. Right. You know, it's going to come off. Right. And by the way, a lot of it did. At the beginning, it did. Right. Without, without a doubt. There right. was nothing like a, uh, you know, a moor guard or something back right. in those days. Right. It was, it was kind of watery. Right. But they began to trust it after a while. And they liked the fact that they weren't going home smelling like right. like paint thinner. Well, I remember so paint, paint painters when I was a kid, when you got to work in the morning, if I would go to work with you in the morning, the painters would come in, their eyes would already be red. Oh, sure. Their nose would be running. Well, their they eyes didn't have a choice because they were inhaling all of this right. really bad stuff, which right. at the time was all that was available. So they had right. no choice. And so as that changed, your, your customers changed. And who, who became the bigger part of the business? Did it stay the painting contractor through that whole time? It was, it was still the painting contractor, although the contractors themselves changed a lot. They didn't have to do all of this color mixing right. uh, on the job. They relied more on us uh, and some of our paint manufacturing fellows. Right. You know, if they were doing a new building, for instance, and if you could order anything from 150 gallons up, the manufacturer would do that for you. Right. Um, when you say do that, tint it. Tint it. Make the yes, color I'm for you. sorry. Yeah. Right. Yeah, actually tint it. Right. And, uh, and was that all manufacturers at the time or just the bigger ones? Because I remember when I was a kid, we had like lots of little like Paragon and Pentagon with little paint oh, yeah. manufacturers. No, the were they all too. able to do that? They were all able to do it. Okay. Uh, as a matter of fact, 
Actually, we relied on the smaller ones to do it more often than the larger ones. Interesting. Larger ones, it would take a little bit. The batches had to be larger. Right. And, um, yeah, so we went to the little guys. And, and so at that time, getting back to where we were at that time, uh, you'd start to see more uh, women come into the store. I remember for a while, mom was working there, so it must have been well, sort of a female After 1969, family. when we moved our location right. into a, a more residential area, right. then yes, we started to see more more women coming in. And yes, my wife helped with the uh, wallpaper, and wallpaper was a big deal back then. Right. Um, oh, you had a big wallpaper department back then? Big wallpaper department. Was that we common in paint stores? It was very common in paint stores. There were probably no paint store that I can think of, certainly not in our area that did not have wallpaper. And so from the, the, the late 70s, which is kind of when we're talking about now, as we right. go into the 80s, the business was, was evolving a little bit and becoming more retail oriented. It sounds like you're, you're it, saying- It was the preference. Right. The, the retail was, was better. Right. Uh, less deliveries and right. so forth and so on. So there higher, were higher profit margin. There were changes, higher profit margin. Right. That's the obvious goal. What were some of the other changes that were going on at the time? Like I, I you're sort of describing uh, in the early part of your career, like sort of a simple offering of products. And, and I think it expanded. It was. It was. Oh, right. and it certainly expanded. Right. Uh, they started to add, all the companies started to add you know, different products. So we had to you know, study up on what these products were and what they can do and, right. and can't do. They did more than the old oil-based products. Although, believe it or not, there were some contractors that still swore that the oil base was the best. Look at that building over there. It's yep. not peeling. Yeah. Uh, so there was something. To I that actually argument. still get the occasional retail customer, an 80-year-old person that will come <laughs> in and insist that Oil base is the only way to go. Yeah, yeah. But obviously, from the EPA's point of view, right? They disagree. <laughs> they disagree totally. <laughs> yeah, right. Uh, and I understand that part. Right. I really do. I, right. I was certainly an advocate of safety when it came to the products. We right. were our fire insurance went down. All kinds of right. things. We didn't have to pump ben benzene from the basement or or naphtha, right. which was highly volatile. Right. Right. So, uh, and you stocked that in bulk. We in stocked it. Stocked. Certain ones, uh, we got delivered by truck, kerosene, vinylene, so forth. Others came in 55-gallon drums, and we had to roll them, put them in a basement, take off the top, and, right. and you know pump it from there. It was a lot wow. of work. And so you're, you're moving into a time where your customers are changing a little bit because the products that you're able to offer a changing and because people are doing um, a little bit more do-it-yourself uh, type work. Correct. How did how did all that affect you as like the business owner? Did that change your your how you were handling your business? I ha had to be a little more consumed with uh, inventory because you can't just order. Uh, now we have bases. And right. We have, so you can't just order thousand gallons, a thousand of gallons white paint. Paint. Right. <laughs> you just can't get away with that anymore right right so that became more of an issue so we needed a little more space for that right uh yeah it worked out it was okay the the basis uh the companies accommodated what we needed mm -hmm. uh and beyond that it was easier right and and so easier because you were 
tinting out of machines going that by works. formula. We were and so tinting you were, out of machines that right, worked at that point A little, little bit more confident. And shakers that, that worked right, at that time. Right. So I was going to ask you about that because I have memories of how we used to shake paint when I was younger versus now we're into a stage where I'm, you know, somewhere in the neighborhood of uh, 20 or so years old. And so I have a lot more you know, memories of, of that time, obviously. And we were shaking paint very differently oh, in very the 1980s differently. than we were in the 1960s. Very differently. And, and actually going back into the 60s, uh, you know, we were rolling it to get the color to absorb and so forth and so on. Yeah, right. it was... When you say rolling it... Physically rolling it along right. the floor. So we used to take, handle, right. take the top take off, the top off. Tint it, put, put the top, the top back, back on, on and hope it wouldn't leak. Hammer. Right. Hope it wouldn't leak, which it did some very often right and uh, just rolled it back and forth and hoped that it was you know rolled it back and forth on the floor on the floor right to get the color that. into disperse yeah. you can't you can't shake them by right hand. right They're a little bit too heavy for right that. right right uh, i know one guy that tried of course him a hernia right so that was no good right and 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 so now we're into the 80s and you've got sort of the equipment that we would understand as a paint store owner or worker now, you know, you yes, had shakers absolutely. that could handle, and obviously different now and better now, uh, but, but conceptually they're the same. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Right. They were, uh, it was an easier time. Let's yeah. put it that way. And, and so sort of it advanced me from, from there, right? So the, the equipment started to change as computers, uh, you know, became a thing and, and your life in the paint store. I remember at the beginning, you and I had some friction about this sort of different points of view on embracing technology. Yeah, I don't remember that. Yeah. Time. I really don't. <laughs> I remember you being wrong most of the time. Yes, that <laughs> happened a lot. Yeah, that happened a lot. But yeah, the, it, it did change. There's no question about it. It, uh, it changed quite dramatically. The, the level of uh, the quantity that the people were ordering were less a lot of new buildings that were not don't forget at the very beginning of of my career in the paint business manhattan was like a ghost town by right. comparison to now right we did a lot of business in manhattan right and it all changed probably around 85 86 somewhere right. thereabouts and then the business changed dramatically too the oh, makeup yeah. of your customer changed again it did. It, it, it was most of the old timers were, as the name would indicate, right. <laughs> right. Uh, you know, started to go away right. uh, and younger people started to come in and their requirements were a little more. Right. They needed more from us in terms of uh, cooperation, talking to their customers. Right to make sure that their customers understood where the paint was coming from and whether we knew what we were doing. And there's so many, many more colors to, right. to worry about. But the manufacturers, by and large, large and small, well, with a few exceptions, but uh, they were really very helpful. So we relied on them the same way as our customers relied on us. And so let's talk about that a little bit. You had... At the time, my recollection was two or three manufacturers that, that you were buying from. There was, I know we were always a Benjamin Moore dealer. Always a Benjamin Moore and dealer. And then we had a company called Paragon. There was a Paragon. They were, they were, uh, they're gone. 
Oh yeah, that long gone. Long gone. Right. Oxline was another oh, one. Right, right, right. Jersey company. Right. Also small. We had a guy um, in the Bronx, uh, Allied Paint. There were two two men, and I don't know how many helpers they had or whatever, and they would make the paint. It was basically like in their bathtub. Right. And uh, yeah, but they could make us if we needed twenty four gallons of a color. Right. They'd be able to accommodate that within a 24-hour period, which was pretty good. And so what was your relationship with the companies that we're talking about? They all had reps that called on you. No. No, they did not. The okay. larger companies had reps. Okay. The smaller companies were just word of mouth, uh, and the owners would come over and, and see us and right. so forth. And, and that was about it. They didn't have a lot of salesmen going out. And so the salesman that you did have, and I remember uh, our salesman from Benjamin Moore back then was a gentleman by the name of Murray Harris or something, right? Yeah, but before that, it was Tommy Boscarelli. I don't remember him. No, you don't remember no. him. Uh, I remember him. He was the salesman when I first came in the business. Right. Uh, and it was different than what they do today. Right. They, so that, that's what I want to talk a little bit about because the relationship you had with the Benjamin Moore rep and, and the the reps from some of the other bigger companies was very different than the relationships days. that we have with our reps now. I remember Benjamin Moore reps at, at my bar mitzvah. I remember Benjamin Moore reps at oh, yeah. Gramps' they, funeral. They were friends. Right. They were part of the family. They were part of the family, without a doubt. Right. They certainly were. And uh, what would you depend on them for? Almost everything. For instance, um, if we needed... Uh, you know, 20 gallons of a special color. Uh, the rep would go from the Bronx to Newark, which is where they were making it at, were the, time. Making it at the time right. and bring it back to us uh, within a couple hours. So we could, you know, turn it over to our customers right. and everybody was happy. These guys ran around for us for, you know, if we needed a court right. uh, and they would go to one of their other stores and pick it up. But they, basically they were, uh, service people, right? That's basically what Just they local did. Local customer support, without a doubt. Yeah, uh, that's exactly what they were, and and they were they were terrific at it. And Murray Harris, Murray, I remember you, well. Yeah. You uh, mentioned, yeah, also did all of that stuff. He right. made sure we were happy. And what were some of the other things that that they would do for you? So back then, there were no point of sale systems. Was was Murray placing your Benjamin Moore order? What were was he filling your chip rack? What were some well, of the other things? Generally that you speaking, could because we were getting Moore's deliveries four times a week, so right. based on that, he wasn't coming to the store that often. Right. So we would do our own ordering, except on the day that we knew Murray was coming in. Okay. Then we'd give him the order, and generally speaking, he would just. Take care of whatever whatever we needed. If we needed him to go on a job, uh, if there was a complaint of some kind, mm -hmm. that's the guy that would go mm -hmm. because he would walk in and uh, you know I'm from Benjamin Moore's. Well, that that held some weight back then, and they would go out and you know offer whatever to make our customers happy. Right. Uh, so therefore, we were happy. And then the company was happy. And then how about helping you grow your business? Were they at all helpful? Was that part of their job at the time? Because I know that that's a big part of the job now. That's probably the biggest part of their job now. It was not then. Interesting. You know, we shared customers with various stores and so forth. So their 
They were limited as to how much they could really get involved because if they helped us do something with somebody, then another store right. would get angry. And so they avoided that as best as they could. Right. And an interesting change as the markets have changed. So nowadays, if you were in the Bronx with a, a collection of stores, you, you're trying to cover that area. You might have four or five stores. Oh, absolutely. And, and, but back then, in that same area, those four or five stores were four or five different people. Yes. I remember as a kid, we, nobody in the Bronx that I recall until you bought the Paley Paint Store, there was nobody in the Bronx that I recall that had two stores. No. Right. No, no nobody did, actually. It was right. just, just Everybody one. was single. So. Yeah. But in those days, I guess we had five Benjamin Wood dealers within a two-minute drive wow. of our store. Yeah. Um, You're talking about the store on Tremont on, Avenue. On Claremont Parkway. On Claremont Parkway, I mean, right. Correct. Correct. On Claremont Parkway. Yeah. I remember uh, there was Jacobson. There was Jacobson. There, there was, was New Palace. New Palace, who's still there. There was something else on Webster Avenue, who was, was the closest a, to us, but I can't Washington? remember Washington? Wasn't there a, somebody Washington on Washington Avenue? Avenue? There was, was some, Oh, okay, was right, on right. Washington Avenue. Right, right. Um, and I don't remember. And then, you know, some of them died off or closed right. or whatever. And they would have all been handled by the same rep same, from Benjamin Moore. Absolutely the same rep. And so, so now I see the conflict. Right. Now I see would, the problem. Would certainly come in right. uh, a lot of so he had to watch right. what he was saying to me versus you know saying to New Palace or right. whoever it is. Right. And and so as time went on, and so we're gonna take you now, we're leaving the eighties and we're getting into the nineties, uh, as as time went on your relationship with these guys changed. Uh, Benjamin well, they Moore, changed, right. first of all, because right. they were getting older. So they were new new salesmen. Right. Um, Who were tasked differently, if I'm not mistaken. Pretty much so. Uh, they were basically just order takers for a while. Right. And that's, you know, I, I went out on my own recognizance when it came to complaints and right. things like that. Right. We weren't getting quite the support that we used to, whether that was their job description from up above, who knows. Right. Um, but we didn't get quite as much help. But there were more salesmen out on the road uh, from some of the middle companies. Right. Not the big guys like Dutch Boy or Benjamin Moores or right. anything like that, but the ox lines of the world. Right. Um, yeah, they would sort of pick up the slack on some of the, the old-time needs that we had. And, and so moving on now, uh, you know, sort of leaving the 80s into the 90s, the technology continues to change. And, and now you have point-of-sale systems, mm -hmm. right? So tell mm -hmm. me a little bit about how life was before you had a point-of-sale system, because I have some sort of random isolated memories of well, big price lists and stuff. First of all, before point-of-sale systems evolved, uh, everything was done by hand. Right. There was no such thing as computers. Right. Uh, we had our editing machines on the counter. Right. And, and uh, we sent that. out sent out by hand all its monthly statements and right. 
things like that. Sometimes I or my dad, when he was still active, he would bring it home yep. and do it on the first of the month. As a matter uh, of fact, years later, talking about the monthly statements for a second, it was doing those statements years later as you were starting to move into retirement and I started doing that. Mm -hmm. It was those monthly statements that made me think we need a point of sale system. Absolutely. Because I can't do this every month for yeah. the rest of my career. Yeah. Well, I did it right. uh, every month. And right. It was a nuisance and a half. Right. But, so um, what was it like working in the store without a point of sale system? I, you know, it's all I knew. So right. whatever it was, was what it was going to be. Right. Everybody was in the same boat. There were no points of sales. Right. Uh, so, so a customer would come was, in, how would you know what to charge them for a gallon of sandy well, flat we had, white? We had price lists that were, that were printed. We were working on. Printed around the store. They were posted around the store. Well, they weren't posted. So or available behind see them, the counter or but something. But they were behind the counter. They were in the office. They were in areas that we needed, even down in the basement. Right. You know, if somebody called down, what do you get for a, Right, right, uh, right. You know, so we would have the information handy. Or in the earlier days, when there were fewer products, we knew it all by heart. Right. There was, there, you wanted a five-gallon can of exterior primer. Well, it was $102. Right. And, and it was just as simple as that because there weren't as many things to think about. Right. But as it got on in time, then we needed more point of sales. Right. And so the point of sale systems made it possible for you to keep track of all the different things you were selling. Correct. Because by then... Oh, there were tons of products right. that the business had we changed. had never heard of. Right. And uh, even when I came from... New York and worked in a paint store in Florida. Uh, that would have been around 2003. Okay. Product line had changed so dramatically. The right. needs because of the heat here in Florida. Right. The needs of the exterior products, which most were sold with right. exterior, changed so dramatically. It was almost like a whole new learning curve. Right. But we had point of sale, and that did make it easier, right? Without a doubt, right? And so let's talk a little bit about you know. So now you're in sort of the last stage, 2003. You're you're working part time, mostly in Florida, uh, and and you're still spending some time in the paint store. But it looks like the paint store that exists now. It's not that many years ago. No, right? Definitely not. And and so those paint stores have uh, very fast moving tint machines. Right, so very fast with conveyor belts that I remember when we bought the first conveyor belt to bring the paint from the basement to the floor or street level. This was right. still in the Bronx. Right, um, it was like the most modern. It was just amazing. It saved so much work. We used to have to walk it up the steps. Wow, and that was tough. And we had a sidewalk elevator. Right, that brought up the drums of alcohol and paint thinner and all mm -hmm. of that stuff. Well, that went away. Right. So we didn't have to deal with that. So right. It was easier. So the way. modern paint store is much easier to oh, work with. You need easier. a gallon of alcohol, there's a gallon of alcohol you on betcha. the shelf. You bet. You don't have to go down yeah. into the basement. No. No. It was very, very different as time evolved. Right. And so which did you prefer? Now, looking back, you're retired now and mostly sit with your feet up. Uh, do you ever think about... <laughs> that was Bobby Lipton again, making commentary in the background. <laughs> Do you, do you ever, <laughs> somebody's not impressed with Bill Lipton's paint career. Do you ever think about 
uh, sort of the stages of your career, like we're talking about it now, do you ever think of it in terms of the different stages or do you just sort of think of it as, as one whole? I, I think of it basically as one whole thing because, okay. you know, you can't really compartmentalize 60 years of doing something. Right. It's very hard when you're younger and active and you can do so much more that I couldn't do now. Right. Even if I had to, it would be a problem. Right. All the lifting and the carrying and things like that. Right. Um, but it's, it's, it, it makes me think of an interesting question. So you worked in a paint store doing pretty much all aspects, all aspects of, of everything of life in the paint store everything. Up, so, to, up to 70, maybe even a couple of years older. Oh, could yeah, you I'm have sorry. worked in your great grandfather and great grandmother's paint store at 70 years old? Not a chance. Right. There's no way because of the weight of the products. Right. He, my, my grand, my grandfather who so started the my business. My great grandfather, Isaac Lipton. Correct. Uh, when he was delivering barrels of paint and barrels of thinner by horse and right. buggy. Right. I cannot relate to that. Right. And right. there's no way. Do you remember I, that? No. Okay. But you know that it happened. I know that it happened. Okay. Uh, it was. But you're not that old. They had trucks when you were in the business. Yeah. By the okay. time I got to the business, they had trucks. But in the interim was my father. And he remembers his father. Right. You know, carrying with the horse and, uh, and wagon. And right. They would work seven days a week. Right. And deliver at night if necessary. And right. And that changed a lot. So the, that part of the world has changed. Yes. And that changed, fortunately, even before I got there. Right. And had that not changed, then and I would have done it. Physically, it you'd have had to wrap it up at 60 and do something else if you wanted to continue working. Without a doubt. Because you wouldn't Without have physically been able to no, manage it. very different. Level. It was a very physical job. Yeah. Right from the very beginning. Right. And, and so later in your career... When you would come home from work, you wouldn't feel as physically taxed because I remember as a kid, you coming home and, and I was wiped out. Be cooked. Oh yeah, you'd I was cooked. cooked. But but then I got older, and even if I had to do less right. in the store, <laughs> I was still cooked. Right. So right, right. that part really didn't matter. I mean, it, you know, at this point in time, I could not work in a paint store. Right. There's and, no doubt about it. And and so, just sort of final thought. Uh, as you think about now, even though I'm perhaps forcing you to think of it this way, as you think about now, the different stages of your uh, time in the paint store as, as we've laid them out almost, you know, by sort of decades, decade, right. right? Which would you say was the most enjoyable uh, for you to work in? Was it the times early on when, yes. when it was just a slug fest? It was, it was absolutely a physical time. Yeah. Uh, back in the uh, late fifties, it was, I thought, great. Right. I had a lot of fun. You were with your family at that time, right? Well, I was. Right. Yeah, I was with All them. of them. But, yeah, and then I go home to this beautiful woman, right. and I was happy as a clam. Yes, I was tired. Right. There's no question about it. There was a lot of physical work. Right. Heavy physical work. Right. Uh, I didn't mind. I was young. Right. I was, you know, in my 20s, and, and it was easy to do, relatively speaking, and I saw the difficulty I used to take my grandfather around to um, to see his customers, mm -hmm. all older people like himself, mm -hmm. and uh, they they still bought some paint, and he would go in and just to show his face, and uh, it was a lot of fun. I, I enjoyed that 
way back then. Right. Uh, probably more than I enjoyed the last 20 years. Right. Which was obviously more modern, but nonetheless. Right. Not uh, to your liking as not much. Not to my liking as much. Sure. I started to get burned a little bit. Yeah. Well, that I have to say, that was sitting here with you. This was really one of the great thrills. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. And I'm looking forward to getting this uh, prepared and getting it up. And I, I think yeah. your daughter, my sister, Marcy, is going to cry for, looks like we've been on for about 45 minutes. <laughs> Yo, I don't know. I I'm, didn't keep I'm track counting of on her to cry for 45 straight minutes. <laughs> yeah, pretty much so. But right. by and large, it was, uh, it was a good run. I have uh, very few complaints. This episode of the Mark My Words podcast was brought to you by Premier Paint Rollers. Premier makes rollers, brushes, and convenience painting tools for the independent retailer market. They're family-owned, three generations, made in the USA, and they're looking forward to hearing from you. Check them out at premierpaintroller.com for more information. So that's it for this episode of the Mark My Words podcast. I'm your host, Mark Lipton. Thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to like, rate, and review our podcast if you enjoyed it. And go to marklipdenpaint.com where you can sign up for our email blast and you'll get notification whenever we put up a new blog or send out a new podcast. <laughs>